10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you may be. How are you doing today? I trust you're well. Um, I'm a little bit warm. Um, it's it's something of, uh, hmm, I'd like to call it a heat wave, but um, I don't think we can call them heat waves anymore. It's just um, incredibly hot here at the moment, and, and I guess that's normal. Um, and I'm, I'm just nodding my head at my, my wonderful guest who I have waiting there over on, on Zoom. Um, he's sitting patiently waiting, which is, is lovely of him. And he can hear me by the look of it uh, because he's smiling. So uh, that's an improvement on last week when my microphone didn't work for the first three minutes, but I just didn't realise. Anyway, <laughs> that said, um, it has been a very, very, very warm week here in Seville, um, with temperatures today hitting 44, which is terrible for most things like, you know, walking, breathing, um, anything that you know, humans like to generally do. Um, working, it's not great for when you have your office right at the front of the house where in the afternoon the sun beats down on it and you don't have air conditioning, but luckily you have your trusty fan. However, there is one thing it's very good for. Uh, it is great for what has been dubbed by many as caster chef. Caster chef, I hear you say, yes, everybody, caster chef. What could that be, Harry? Well, it was the genius invention by, I don't know who, it was definitely me, but I don't know who it was. Uh, and it's all about making food in your car, taking advantage of the, well, let's be honest, terrible weather um, and using the warming so you don't have to uh, use your oven. Now, last year, uh, you may remember over on Renewable English, which you can check out over on Insta, uh, I made uh, some chocolate chip cookies, I made some crepes, and I made a fried egg. The chocolate chip cookies were edible, the others were not. Um, however, this year, I've made three different things. The first day I made uh, some cupcakes, which I called Cochelenas, which are called coche, which is car in Spanish, and madalenas are cupcake, kind of, in Spanish. So they were the first things I made. They were delicious. Yesterday, I made roast veg and roast apples. They were not delicious. If you're considering using the heat wave in, in the UK this weekend to cook in your car, do not roast apples. They will not be delicious. And um, today, at the challenge of my, my good friend, Dan Shepard, the, the legend at Hubbub Labs, um, he challenged me to make a pizza, which I, I rose to the challenge as if I were some kind of dough. Um, I rose to the challenge and I did, in fact, make a plant-based margarita pizza. Um, I started out by at about 12 today. I... I positioned my my car facing the sun um, and I put the, the dough in there, the base. It was um, nice and crispy when I took it out a short while later. 
Then my wife had to go out um, on an errand, which was lucky as I was building the pizza. And when she came back, she she placed the car again in the sun uh, and I could put it in. And, and it was actually not the worst pizza I've, I've ever had. I did, in fact, tag um, Domino's Pizza Hut and Dele Pizza in the post um, because it was better than any of the pizza I've ever eaten from any of them. Um, but anyway... That's what I've been up to. I've been cooking stuff in my car and I think I've probably lost about six kilos purely in sweating, which is uh, not really an amount I can afford to lose. Um, But anyway, for now, I'm going to see, fingers crossed, uh, for the news and tech briefing. Otherwise, you'll be hearing from me again very shortly. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Young members of the Margate-based Lived Experience crew joined with students from nine schools across the country travelling to London to raise the alarm over the UK's plastic waste problem. The trip to Parliament came after pupils took part in the Big Plastic Count, a citizen science project launched by Greenpeace UK, a non-profit organisation, Everyday Plastic. The count involved some 100,000 households, schools, community groups and businesses across the UK, counting their plastic packaging waste, recording the different types they throw away, and entering the results into the campaign website. 
The campaign aims to convince the government to take more action to cut plastic production, ban plastic waste exports and transition to refill and reuse alternatives which are affordable, accessible and appropriate for all. Union leaders have warned newly appointed cabinet ministers that many teachers and nurses will quit their profession in the coming weeks if public sector pay deals are further delayed by chaos at the top of government. Patrick Roach, General Secretary of the NAS UWT, has written to the new Education Secretary, James Cleverly, asking for publication of the review body recommendations for teachers. Roach said it was essential that agreement was reached as soon as possible, so that teachers did not leave the profession before the beginning of the new school year. What is important is that the process is not kicked into the long grass. We must ensure that full consultation takes place and that teachers get what they deserve. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, over the next few episodes I'm going to discuss connections, so let's get wired or not, as the case may be. The plan was to do this in order of most essential, however a chicken and egg question came first. What is the most essential connection, the internet or your display device? Without the internet, there'd be far less interaction, however, how does this compare? To the ability to display your screen to the class. I asked you on Twitter and at Elizabeth J. Rowan was the first to answer with I'll hasten to add the most popular choice, the internet. There's 1001 ways to present or display information. I couldn't agree more. And talking of more, at more to learn, question my question, asking why do I have to choose? Showing the expectation we teachers have for both. However, when asked to choose, the answer was the internet and give me a whiteboard pen. So, Let's talk about the internet and the difference it makes to teaching. We have a connection to the biggest network of networks at our fingertips, indexed by powerful search engines that return results in seconds, even ranking them in an order of likelihood of them containing the answer we are looking for. Obviously, we need to swerve adverts and fake news from time to time, but what a resource we have. For those of us willing to admit they were around, 20 years ago teachers were still transitioning from chalkboards. Every teacher was in the process of getting a laptop, the projector was on a trolley you wheeled into the classroom, and social media didn't exist. You couldn't just take a virtual tour inside a volcano or go on an interactive 3D journey through the digestive system, have a guided tour around a highly secure Google storage facility, drop a jelly baby on a map, walk around the coast of Spain, Italy or Australia. The internet has brought us all of this, and harnessing, filtering and presenting its power to our pupils has become an art that we have had to master. So here are a couple of tricks you can use to keep yourself organised. Control plus D bookmarks a page. But did you know that if you make a folder of bookmarks you can right click and open all. All of your bookmarks in that folder open as new tabs. This is great if moving from one lesson to another on a different topic. If you use a lot of YouTube clips and websites, Wakeless is a great way to organise collections of links and clips. It's free to make an account and you can share collections via links with pupils. I'd like to finish with a question. Do you know the difference between the internet and the World Wide Web? Tune in next week to find out. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech 
I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you very much, Steve. Um, I think the internet is probably more important than how you display it, um, in my opinion. And yeah, good on them for marching down uh, for the plastic problem. I know Kids Against Plastic were very much involved in the big plastic count, which was great to hear and great to see. Um, Although the results, not so great to hear and or see. Um, Because as we know, there is way too much plastic waste. But that's something we can talk about at another time. Right now, I would like to, to welcome my, my wonderful guest, uh, Adam Scott, the ELT specialist uh, from Sensations. He's, uh, I'm gonna let him unmute himself because the last time I unmuted somebody, it meant they, their, their phone didn't work. So I'm just uh, allowing him the time to unmute himself there. He seems to, there we go. Are you there? Do you read me? Hello, loud and clear. There we go, you are there, you do read me. Sorry, my, my daughter recently got some uh, got some walkie-talkies, which I'm actually showing to Adam at the moment. Um, so my last three days have been spent sitting at different places in the house asking if my daughter reads me um, over. So, yeah, <laughs> that will be that. Um, enough on that. Um, Adam, I want to know about you, though. Um, I gave you an incredibly brief introduction there, one that probably wasn't you know, it belies your greatness. Um, so I would like to know a little more about you. Well, I'd like to think I'm quite a modest person, so I think it was adequate. But um, no, um, uh, what what to say? Um, I'm an English language teacher, teacher trainer, um, materials writer. Um, I do classroom research, and um, that has involved quite a lot of tech over the years, and, and ed tech bring that into the classroom and. Um, finding different ways to use things. Um, I started teaching way, way back in 2005 when I moved to the Czech Republic um, and did a four week course and um, then started, um, did lots of interesting things out there, business intensive courses as well as uh, high school and um, um, standard kind of uh, English language in company and in classroom, in, in school, work and and then came back to the UK um, uh, where where I'm, I now am in Brighton um, just missed Brighton too much in the end um, uh, so it drew me back um, it is a lovely place I mean I, I'm not a huge fan of of Britain and the United Kingdom um, but I do love Brighton it's true it's one of those places where you feel that yeah this this is okay here sort of thing so so yeah and i found myself at the um uh st giles english language school in brighton um where i i then progressed through um doing my diploma and um uh running their brand new family course which was a great experience bringing students young learners and their parents together um, uh, for summer um, uh, English language experience. So that was really good fun. And um, and then I moved over to teacher training. So and did the CELTA, became a CELTA tutor there and um, was there until the pandemic. And in the meantime, I'd been doing lots of classroom research, as I said, um, did a 
classroom research action research scheme with British no with English UK sorry and um, uh, Cambridge uh, back in 2014 and that was a great experience working with Simon Borg as your mentor um, and you know really seeing the rigor that you could put into classroom research and um, and from there I started presenting at conferences and getting involved in other things and that all led to me then becoming the um, a writer and then the ELT specialist at Sensations English which is where most of my work is now although next month I'll be spending my third year in a row at the Royal College of Art um, on their pre-sessional course helping um, their postgrad students who are just about to join them um, kind of get used to their process of inquiry which takes me back to my undergraduate degree in humanities which um, was really all the thinking put together so um, uh, it's quite nice to be able to bring that back into my teaching as well. Um, it is great as a as a materials writer and as a teacher trainer to to be able to still be a teacher mm. I think it's important I don't think it's vital you know I'm not saying that anybody who's a materials writer that doesn't teach anymore isn't valid as a materials writer absolutely not um, but I do think for me, it certainly helps, particularly the teacher training side of things. Um, it, it definitely uh, aids my, I don't know, my, my learning, but also, you know, my teaching, having them all together. I think it's really important. I think it's a really important point. It's a way, one way, there are other ways, but it's one way of keeping yourself fresh and um, on the ball with everything. Um, one of the things that Simon Borg really made clear when he was working with us was, I can't tell you how to teach because I haven't been in the classroom since the late 90s, but he's an expert on um, teacher education and how to educate teachers. So I feel like in the end, we do have to let go of some things as much as we want to grip like with grim death to them but um uh i think that's where we have to make those choices and it's interesting to see where everybody's making those choices at the moment just thinking about you know different people around like um uh rachel i can't remember her surname now who's who's helping teachers to develop their own businesses and um rachel roberts that's it thank you um you know and that's a really interesting direction that she's gone in there so yeah i think um for me it was like most apparent in okay so around you know lockdown pandemic time i was doing a lot of teacher training for you know online teaching and hybrid teaching when i had taught online beforehand which was brilliant for me you know it was great because i had an idea you know i'd even used zoom before which uh which was which was amazing not to teach though i'd used it to do a podcast actually um but yeah, so I was, I was aware of you know techniques and ideas and stuff because there was such a massive demand straight away for for mm-hmm. teacher training on that, and you know the the hybrid thing. I went out and I found myself a hybrid class to do it, so I could actually practice what I was preaching. Because I often find you know you'll go to a, a conference or you go to a talk and there'll be a, a speaker there who talks about something, and you sit there with your teacher trainer eyes on or your materials writer eyes on you're like this is brilliant this is great and then you kind of sit there with your teacher eyes on and you think what planet are you actually on mate like (laughs) what do you what are you talking about you can't do that in a classroom like that's Mm. just not going to work but it's fantastic theory and it's a lovely like idea that you've come up with but 
that just would never work. Yeah, I think you're you're completely right there. And um, my experience with the online world, as soon as we hit the pandemic, was actually doing online CELTA courses. The the gods allowed them to happen for once, and um, uh, we all had to work out how. And and to be honest, it was an amazing experience because it brought back to the fore so many things that get ignored or largely ignored by teachers on the CELTA courses because they're seen as, oh yeah, they'll, they'll kind of just work with everyone in the class, like core classroom management elements just came back in and they were so crucial to people finding their feet, effectively running their lessons. Um, and at the same time, you know, I'd had all the experience of doing the kind of ed tech classroom research um, uh, projects. So I was able to then bring bring that expertise in as well. And, and it really was massively rewarding. You felt the the screen disappear between you and the students and the trainees and and in your mind you were imagining them back in your old teaching location you know where they yeah. stood next to you um uh, around a table or something so that was fascinating to see how well zoom could work for education uh, whereas i don't think it probably works as well for kind of business meetings and stuff like that yeah, well, yeah, in terms of education, it can be absolutely brilliant, right? Um, I think it very much depends on a lot on the students, a lot on the teacher, but also on the kind of age range. Yeah. Now, I, I did teach a class of six-year-olds on Zoom. That was not cool. Um, <laughs> like they, just, they don't have the digital literacy to be able to do the stuff anyway. Um, for a storytelling, it's brilliant. You know, they're there, they're engaged, they're looking at the screen. And, you know, when you put a screen in front of a six-year-old, they're not going to move for half an hour. They're just going to, you know, sit there like, you know, they've been drugged or something. Yeah. Exactly. It's just, uh. um, so for storytelling, they're great. But to actually, you know, to deal with the classroom management side of things, I, I struggled. Yeah. Now, a friend of mine actually was doing the same for um, a one-to-one -one with a student in um, a, a young student who had a lot of um, additional educational needs, and um, she really worked out that it was, you know, holding that student or trying to hold that student to the screen was just not going to work. And, exactly. Um, so there was lots of other ways in which she was engaging with the world around that student um, through the screen instead, and and that really worked for her. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 all about finding your, you know, finding the best way that works. Because during the the pandemic, for example, there there were not a lot of ways that that we could find would work at first, and there were there was an awful lot of, um, I don't know, fight back from teachers. Uh, don't get me wrong, teachers were incredible during the pandemic, and the adaptation, the adaptability was amazing. Um, but there was a lot of pushback in terms of, you know, using Zoom and even from directors and stuff like that uh, at academies and at language schools, um, they they were they were reluctant to really get too involved with it. And and I think uh, what I found and what I saw, those that flourished most were the ones that kind of embraced it. It was really interesting as a situation, and Silvana Richardson spoke about this a couple of years ago now, about how um, uh, everyone was learning together. The teacher trainers and the teachers were kind of 
in sync for once, you know, and, and exploring it together. And that gave it a freshness. But she did also call that kind of crisis teacher education, I think. Whereas then she's like, well, how do we put in a more sustainable, more um, uh, kind of effective pedagogy going forwards with digital, um, with remote learning? So, so yeah, it's an interesting topic. Um, I wish I had all the answers, really. Uh, <laughs> you said you do research, answer. Adam. You must have all the answers. <laughs> well, I think that's the problem with research. It's like for this group, in this context, um, yeah. Yeah. And that's all you can do. So, um, yeah, um, I think that but that speaks to the, the, the insights that the individual teacher has over their their context and their classes as well. So, yeah, so, absolutely. Know, getting the people who are enthusiastic and able to feel supported and often it's being able to feel supported. For example, with PRONSIG, Pronunciation Special Interest Group from IATEFL, we are doing hybrid events now and we're really careful to make sure that they are truly hybrid rather than just a kind of a simulcast of the screen of what's going on and talking to other special interest groups they feel very concerned about how it's going to work and how it's going to operate and all of all of these kind of worries and can they have technicians to help them and all of this and, and we only were able to do it because we said we're doing it all on our own we don't need any support we can do it on a shoestring with an elastic band and a paper clip and and pretty much we did and you know we've learned a lot of lessons from it as well and that's part of the process of reflection and development but we the people who were online seemed to have a good time and engaged with it well and the people in the room did as well the next challenge is to bring those two a bit more together as you would in a classroom because yeah. it's a bit easier to do it there in a sense with a limited number and a kind of more controlled environment than it is with kind of uh, a room full of p teachers who you know all have the right I the best idea of how to do something in a particular moment oh and they all want to talk yeah <laughs> um, I, I must admit, I do, you know, there was a lot of fight back about um, hybrid, as I mentioned, and mm. I really, I was lucky because I got a good class, I guess, but I loved my hybrid class. I thought it was brilliant, and I thought it was such a fun way of, like, marrying these these two ideas. What I didn't like was the kind of assumption in language academies that, you know, you've taught in a classroom and you've taught online therefore you are going to be good at hybrid teaching it was a bit like saying well you can swim and you can catch so therefore you must be brilliant at water polo like yeah. that it was like well no because there's there are new there are different skills involved there as well it's not just that a kind of one thing yeah very constructivist approach to that really um yeah <laughs> um, uh, and we all know where that ends so no um, i think it's really important that we see it as a different discipline and we see it as something that you have to work on training and one of my friends is actually head of teacher training at a school in brighton and had to deal with this and and you know luckily he's a really devoted and um, engaged person who, who went off and found how to support his teachers with the limited technology that they were allowed and, and how they made that work. Um, uh, you know, and, and at that point, if you can remember back to that point in the pandemic, yeah, you didn't know who was going to be in class and who was going to be online in a particular day or where they were going to be as well, because um, someone might get ill, someone might be suddenly arriving in the country and have to quarantine, someone else might be on their way and can't get a flight out, all these kinds of things and trying to make that work together. But yeah, it's definitely not 
one plus one equals two. No, it very much isn't. Um, now, I'd like to talk a little bit more about something else. Um, you mentioned Pronsic very briefly there, and something I really loved about the switch to online. I, I used to have a deep obsession with pronunciation back in oh. 2014 when I was studying for my Delta. Mm. Um, I, I, was, I was very, very much obsessed with pronunciation. Did you do um, a lesson? Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I was, yeah, I was very, like, I think I was mostly obsessed with it because a guy that I was doing it with was, um, he was one of those TEFL talkers, you know, people who only talk in TEFL. <laughs> you know, he only, you know, that, that was all he did. And the whole time we were doing the pronunciation, you know, he was only using official pronunciation words. And he's like, I'm going to go into my class. So I'm going to teach them about assimilation. It's like, really? Ooh. You're going to you're going to teach that to a bunch of 14 year old Spanish kids? Because I don't think that's going to work, mate. You know, you have to mm. not dumb it down, but, you know, you have to change it up a bit. So, yeah, I had a, a brief obsession with it. In fact, my, the most popular talk that I've ever done which is called strip, stress, tone, rhythm, intonation, uh, pronunciation, strip. Obviously, I came up with the title first. Uh, that's something <laughs> that I still do, actually. It's something that I've been doing since um, 2014. And I found when we went online, pronunciation teaching was actually suddenly much easier. You know, I found it incredibly easy in a small class so i you know my online class was six or seven students mm. you know it wasn't a huge class but i found that you know when you had the the trust of the students you could get them to come up to the camera they could show you their mouth shape you know you could show mm. them what was happening if you wanted to like in the mouth you know you could really get in there and show them proper mouth shapes and and then when it went back to the classroom it was all masks mm -hmm. so suddenly that was it was like the polar opposite. And I think it just emphasized how useful online could be for, for, for proning, yeah. as it were. I think there's definitely um, another aspect of that, which is the, you know, the, the negative affect of so, which surrounds pronunciation is huge and very much a barrier to um, uh, certain students feeling comfortable even approaching pronunciation and even teachers as well. And something about that <clears throat> more protected sense of you being in your own environment, there being a screen and a camera and everybody else being further away really hasn't had an impact on on people's confidence with pronunciation issues like activities or with dealing with any kind of misunderstandings as well so with which are based in pronunciation that is so yeah i think you're you're absolutely right that we did see almost like an explosion of pronunciation in, in the online teaching and then like you say the masks come in it's like what are you going to do about pronunciation because it becomes even more important as an issue because there are no lips for people to read <clears throat> and the sound is less clear than it would normally be <clears throat> so and, and potentially less loud as well so there's a lot that then needs to be considered but yeah again it's like what do we do to approach that so what do we do to approach i mean masks <laughs> are off now um masks yeah. are off almost everywhere so that um that issue is is moot, I mm. guess. Um, so we can we can move past that for now. I hope. Um, 
until the next one. No, I'm joking. Um, we can move past that. Um, so, and we've got video rather than telephones now. So, you know, yeah, exactly that. Um, how would you um, approach a typical ELT class? So, let's say it's the start of the year. You love prawn. I love prawn. Do your students love prawn? Does your textbook love prawn? Probably doesn't. It's probably got a little box in the corner every four or five pages with a phoneme in it. Mm. How do you approach prawn in the in the classroom? Well, first of all, I could probably tell you how not to approach it, but then oh, I like that. <clears throat> but then I think you've already mentioned your friend who you were on your diploma course with, um, and it's definitely not going hell for leather at it um, with uh, lots of um, uh, meta language and lots of technicalities. And um, one of the things that I experimented with for a long time was phonics. And it's definitely useful um, uh, uh, incidentally in a in, taught in an incidental way as a providing a visual support for learners, which is more associated with the alphabet than the phonemic script is, I think. I'm not a fan of the phonemic script and saying that as one of the joint coordinators of Pronsig may may get me in controversial some kind of, some kind of controversial soup. But um, uh, I, I really feel that the um, I was thinking about this today and the, the phonemes are supposed to be in a sense. Well, and Mark Hancock's talked about this as well. The phonemes are supposed to be just kind of like a guide for us. Um, you know, they've they've been borrowed from the phonetic alphabet in many cases or, or switched around from that. Um, <clears throat> and they're and in the phonetic alphabet, they're supposed to represent conversational analysis, you know, the exact sound that someone made at a particular point in their speech. And that's not what we're using them for. But we've kind of, in a sense, reified or kind of like um, endorsed the phonemic chart and the phonemic script to a point where these become particular forms or examples, the perfect form of this sound or whatever. And everybody is at a deficit compared to it because you're not making the up sound in the up way or whatever it is. Um, and, and this is like Plato imagined there was one table in space that was the perfect table and every other table was an iteration, an example of that table, but not the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, you know, how different tables are around the world between cultures, between different uses and how all those vowel shapes or sounds that could be, you know, approximate a particular sound are, are good enough. And they function and they're even sometimes not what you expect them to be. You see a table, you go, oh, is that a table? Wow, that's interesting. But it's actually, we've got, you know, even if you go around Britain, there are various different vowels that make up, um, uh, that, that work in the same word to mean the same thing. Um, <clears throat> and yet the spelling is still uh, exactly the same for for each of them. And, and so the idea that we've got this kind of way of focusing on the phonemic script and using that as our base, I feel feel is a bit a bit misguided. And when you mention the boxes in the books with the phonemes, that's really the extreme of that, because the relevance of them appears so distant to the 14 year olds who are in the room there. Whereas I was talking to Robin Walker a few uh, a couple of months ago now, and he was saying about how 
he did some listening with some students and they were like, what's that word? We can't hear it. And he's based in Spain. And um, he was like, which word? And they really, he, he really didn't know which word they couldn't understand. So he went and played it back again and again and said, tell me stop when you hear this word. And, and so that happened. And the word was Asia. And, you know, these were upper intermediate students. They, 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 they've read that word a million times. They understand that concept. And, um, but the pronunciation hadn't ever been looked at with them. So they had Asia sort of and the way so you say it in spanish yeah yeah, exactly and so the sh thing hadn't been brought out and i think actually spelling and um, sound correspondences is a really useful way of doing that and it's low impact as well or low stress because you could you find one word you find a couple more you put them on a piece of paper people can take that in and it's it's creating a kind of a meaningful um, uh, compare and contrast which you can take away and work with and that's basically what phonics tries to do for 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 you know first language learners and <clears throat> of english which has got this complex orthography this complex spelling sound relationship so complex <laughs> yeah and um you know many people years ago were like oh we should have a, a more kind of um uh, a, a re reworking of the spelling of everything but whose accent do you then go with you know there's no neutral accent we've got rid of that idea um thankfully and and so then you have to select one and that's not really the point so i kind of feel like the pronunciation work that you want to do is really about yes it's a system pronunciation is a system but whereas in vocabulary and grammar you've got lots of bits that you can learn and you know this is an this noun means this and you know there's there's lots of elements like that or this piece of grammar you make it by using subject plus verb plus whatever um i think it's really hiding the fact that these systems are also processes and in pronunciation i think the process really comes first and the 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 process of being able to explore understanding you know be able to decode speech decode written text as sound um uh, because written text is really in an alphabet language just a, a cipher or a code for speech sounds so and then making sure that it's in that students or that group of learners voices and also exploring the differences in those voices um, lots of teachers don't approach pronunciation because all the materials are in old-fashioned RP or standard Southern British English and their accent isn't that. So then they're ex- immediately excluded or, or positioned as inferior to the model. And the model actually should be, I think, from your students and from yourself and not exclusionary or singular or exclusive, but something to be understood in in that context of a communication conversation between people or in that situation where you've got two different pronunciations and something i love doing in my classes is asking a learner how to say something rather than being the model myself so mm-hmm. here's the word how do you say that how do you say that how do you say that and saying okay which ones are similar or what's the difference between them and bringing out that process of noticing and that process of being able to expand yourself on your awareness of pronunciation so and then you need tools to do it like phonics or the phonemic script or whatever but that then puts those tools in their right place rather than being at the top as some kind of form they're they're what we're working with instead 
Yeah, I like that point you make about the whole, the, the phonemic chart and the phonemic script. I don't dislike it. Um, I think it felt a bit like when I was um, when I was in a, in a language academy. It was a bit almost like a kind of a badge of honor that teachers would wear that they knew the the phonemic script and they could use it and they could then write the pronunciation. You know, when the emergent language came out, they could write the the pronunciation of it up on the board in phonemic script. And I'm just thinking, like, what's what's yeah, is that necessary? It makes your board look nice, but unless you know you've you've gone through it, and again, there there have been years when I've sat there at the start of the year, and I've gone through the the phonemic chart, and I've taught the students. You know, I've spent three or four lessons working through, showing them what it what it is, what it means. But then it is that whole thing of it's very exclusionary if you're using that as the basis. This, this is it's the way I speak, so it's fine. But it's not how their teacher from last year spoke, who was from Scotland, or probably how their teacher from next year is going to speak, who might be from Poland. So, you know, saying that this is the right way to say a word, perhaps not. But having it as, you know, this is this sound, not necessarily in this word, but this is this sound. So if you hear this sound, it's this, you know, is it the uh or is it the uh? So, well, doesn't really matter as long as you can recognize the sound. And I think that's another thing. It's like those those minimal pair activities, for example. There's the famous one about ship or sheep, and then there's a joke about the more rude example, um, uh, and and how people might feel embarrassed in these situations. But I know lots of people who don't pronounce the long longer e sound, um, and then don't feel embarrassed about it. And no one's there laughing, giggling, saying, oh, you didn't say peace. Um, uh, well, yeah, you don't ask, you, you ask someone for a sheet of paper. Like, it's quite obvious what you're asking for. Exactly. Like, and, the and context so this, is there. It's kind of a very, um, quote, unquote, native speaker kind of perspective to take on things. And what we really are living in now is a much more English for a global world lingua franca contexts for English language use and communication and English as an international language. And we're mixing up all of these different pronunciations. Um, and the, the skill really of pronunciation is to be able to manage and communicate across those different divides um, and be aware of them. It's, it makes me think of, you know, you'll meet someone who is who has a very pronounced local accent and who whose accent I don't know why my only brain my only idea about it is that you know their character is so sure and strong and confident that they don't feel the need to immediately accommodate when they meet other people but someone whose accent remains quite distinct even when they move into different circles or live in a different place for a long time and when you move into those go into a group of people like that you know, it, it can be difficult to understand what their pronunciation is and, and everything, but you adapt and, and you do. And, you know, most of the time, you something else emerges when you're there for a long time between you as speakers, you're, you all accommodate and all move slightly more towards each other. But those people who kind of keep that very strong identity and, and a very fixed accent, it's it's almost like they are what we now call in 
in um, uh, English as a lingua franca or international English, they're, they're not very good at international communication, you know, and that would be an example in our own regional and, and, and national lives where we could think of that lack of accommodation, that lack of consideration or awareness of how you're in, engaging with someone else. So um, I always remember going to a shop in Scotland and by asking for a steak and the guy kept on using this word pop size Popeye steak or something like that and then eventually he realized that I really wasn't getting it I was like what is this and he's like oh in England you call it like a ribeye or whatever it was I can't remember now but he kind of finally got that sort of thing but it wasn't his usual mode that he was used to and and I think in the in the same way we've got a lot of native speaker I'm quote unquote I prefer l1 user but you know, we need a good, a, a different term, um, uh, who, who, who aren't very good at that moving between um, different contexts and internationally understanding and communicating with other people. Years ago, I was very worried, and I speak to people every, every time I talk about this kind of stuff, people say, but what about the differences between, you know, people from other parts of the world who try and come together and can't, you know, making different sounds and don't understand each other because they're using local pronunciations and I used to be very worried about that as well and you know the whole world would fall apart but it doesn't um, it you know people have this communicative um, principle that they're a cooperative principle that they're working towards when they're communicating so what actually happens is people very quickly negotiate what those things are and and, and reach communication and in that moment they become more aware of how to communicate in a in a global context so yeah. it's not something we need to worry about in, and, and lose our, our minds over because actually it's us kind of if, and it, I think it's mostly L1 user speakers and teachers projecting this kind of disaster scenario of miscommunication absolutely yeah um, it's, it's funny it takes me back to when I was I was working in, in a bar many years ago I love a story about working in a bar. Oh, I I worked in a bar for a long time. Um, But it was, so it must have been around Mm 2004-ish. And the EU had just expanded and there were um, more um, Polish nationals coming into the bar that I was working in. Yeah. Um, You know, they lived there, they went to the bar and, you know, one guy came up to the bar in like the most broken English, you know, He'd clearly been there a few days and he asked for a beer. Like, it was obvious he'd asked for a beer because mm. he said, like, beer, please, amongst a lot of stuttering and nervousness. I was like, of course, mate. When else to get it? And one of the the, the girls at the bar um, went to serve him the next time and she'd heard him and, and heard him struggling. And she was like, what, mate? I can't hear what you're saying. Can you speak properly, please, mate? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, just came out, like, just... 100 miles an hour with all this mm. stuff and the, the poor guy you know he can't have been much more than 20 21 just not petrified you know and he was just yeah. like beer beer and you know at the end he sounded like a, a desperate alcoholic but it was literally <laughs> the only word he knew and afterwards you know she came over to me and was like i can't believe it he's coming over he can't even talk english you know it's, it's, it's terrible and i was like i said didn't you recently go to greece on holiday she was like yeah i was like how much Greek do you speak? She's like, well, I don't speak any, but they speak English there, so it doesn't matter. And I was just like, that—that that is the kind of, you know, mm. the L1, the, the native speaker attitude of, 
I think it's a very British thing as well. It often happens in in the states as well. This whole, you know, if you you need to be able to speak English and you need to be able to speak in a way that I understand you. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. One guy that really digs into this is um, uh, uh, a postdoc um, uh, researcher in Canada called VJ Ramjatan, who is actually going to be doing a pronunciation SIG webinar in August. I just found out today. Um, uh, no, in September, sorry. Um, b- which are free to view, by the way. Little plug there. But um, he does a lot of research in racism in through accent discrimination in the workplace um and um uh it's it's you know there is a lot of um assumption that you should sound a particular way in order to in order to project a certain image and things like this and um you know people have different attitudes to to this and while you know i was at a talk a few years ago where you know sylvana richardson of all people you know, said, well, you know, we need to think about the practicalities of this and how people will be perceived differently if they're speaking with a heavy low, um, uh, first language accent in a second language and, and these kinds of things. But there's a massive cultural shift that we need to all be aware of that if the shoe was on the other foot, we'd be trying our hardest and we'd want respect for that. Um, and, and, and not to give it does seem to be uh, quite clear example of some form of discrimination so um, it's it's almost like accentism and native speakerism are the last two remaining socially acceptable forms of prejudice and discrimination yeah. and um, it, it feels like to me as well with in terms of accent and now this is something I get a lot over here there's a huge confusion between accent and pronunciation mm. you know they, they, you have people coming to and you know it does connect to native speakerism you have parents of of young students coming into academy saying we want a native teacher because we want little bebe we want them to sound like steve from england we want bebe to have an english accent and sound like steve and it's just like sorry love pepe ain't never gonna have an english accent and sound like steve unless steve comes and lives in your house Mm. and constantly speaks to bebe in english all the time if he's going to an academy for two hours a week for 10 months of the year, Pepe ain't gonna have no English accent, sister, I'm afraid. Pepe is gonna have his Spanish accent, but he's, you know, he's, he's going to learn English and whether Steve's interested in pronunciation or not, you know, there will be some pronunciation issues there and that can be figured out by the teacher who doesn't need to be native. Oh, completely. I mean, L2 speakers of English and teachers of English are often more aware of the pronunciation needs of their their particular learners than than a, a, a L1 native speaker in inverted commas teacher will be because they've they've gone through the process of mastering the um, the issues that they found uh, and and you know finding ways to accommodate or cope with them or decide not to care about them as well. Um, and yet the the anxiety is still there that they a lot of those teachers would still rather use the tape recording i'm showing my age now the the audio <laughs> recording um of the, exactly uh, of of the course book example which is often not very authentic um oh that, that's something that that really gets my goat man when that someone comes on there and they're being american but they're clearly not american mm. 
Yes, I mean, that's one of the things talking about um, uh, Sensations English later, we really enjoy including as many different accents as possible from interview clips within our, our videos. And that's part of the whole exposure to varieties. And, and some, of the th some of the problems with recording is you do get um, two or three or four maybe actors um, in the voice for a whole course book and being told to do all these different accents. And, you know, they're not um, Dame Judi Dench or whoever who's got all of that skill in order to be able to do that. They're, they're jobbing actors who've, who've got good enough um, to be able to, to, to work on their craft. But that's, that's not going to give you an authentic example. Sometimes they're not even that. When I was in Vietnam, I, I was teaching in Vietnam, I was in my third year of teaching. I was asked to do the, the voiceovers for an entire book. And at one point I had a conversation with myself. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure many of those, but... Um... They were terrible. They were terrible. Like, and this was a, a book that went out to 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 schools across the whole country. And really? like, that was the wow. kind of okay. the standard so, for it. It was, it was not okay. Exactly. And, um, and, and that is one of the, 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 the production issues, really, you know, with, with everything that if you're going to do something like that, it would be better just to use the authentic voices of the people who are recording stuff. But to be honest, now we've got so many diff way, different ways of getting recordings of people's voices that it shouldn't be that hard to be able to include variety and um, authentic variety at that. So That is something I'm a big fan of with a lot of um, newer, newer textbooks and newer, you know, publications that, that there aren't just those seven actors doing those 12 accents. You know, there's, there are a lot more, um, there are people, there, there are German people speaking English. There are Malaysian people speaking English. You know, there are people from, from all over the world that, that are there using this, this kind of English as a lingua franca. And we have those, they're not common enough, you know, they're, and they're the sparse. Yeah, and I think the unfortunate thing is they're all speaking very well-scripted, standard Southern British English um, in those accents in in many cases as well. So, exactly, exactly. What, what I tried to do with, with when I was doing Speak Up for Sustainability, I tried to find people who could speak in English, but it wasn't perfect English, and there'd be mistakes in there, and that's good for students to see that mm. not everybody, in, even in the textbook, is perfect. So... Well, you know, perfection, again, is one of these forms, you know, we, when you're writing, you spend a lot of time editing to get down something into, you know, a, a very clear form that will be there to substitute for you not being there um, uh, and, and, and the clarity that you could give to something in, in an interaction. So the idea that that scripted written English is what students should be kind of like aspiring to in their spoken production is is a very kind of artificial one as well so I remember the first time I heard about you know utterances not being sentences and you know <clears throat> a whole world opens up at that point and one of the nice one of the geekiest things about my job is listening to the the because um, we get a transcript of each interview clip that we we can potentially use and the when we've chosen them that listening to the word by word, sound by sound, pronunciation of what this person said and trans and writing it down. It's almost like conversation analysis, but it's in, in English and, we, you know, so it, in, in printed 
in in the so what am I saying in in the written form, um, and and being able to actually write exactly what's there without cleaning it up, tidying it up, correcting anything. Um, uh, because who are you to correct in one sense? But at the same time, that's not going to help a learner who's trying to make sense of that speech sound from the transcription of what's been said, because they have to be the same. Otherwise, you're not giving that support. So that's a little geeky bit that I get to do a few times a week, which I really enjoy. It's so true that you know when we're speaking now. I'm not bad at speaking English. I do it quite a lot. You're pretty good. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm, I'm probably you know. A, High B two at least. I was going um, to say low C one, but you know. Oh, okay. The you, there. Exactly. Who's the judge? Much of a muchness, I think. Um, but my speech is littered with utterances. You know, uh, um, these things that come out like uh, fantastic. I, I don't know why, but I say it all the time. Fantastic is like my go-to word. But but these are things that would traditionally be removed from these tape scripts. You know, the ums, the ers. It would be recorded again and again and again until there weren't any ums or ers in there. And that's not preparing anybody for the real world because there are very few people that, unless they're doing a TED talk, that are going to speak without any ums or ers. And that's a really good example because there's two ways of doing a, a, a talk, aren't there? There's the TED talk way and there's the storytelling way where and, and, and one of them you you need to learn every word and get it all down completely inflexibly and the other one you go off those key points and and the language that you use emerges in that moment as you're putting those ideas together and that's the one that really frees our learners to be confident users rather than the one which is memorizing that script that you've written and um and, and kind of then delivering it in a, in a quite artificial sense. So yeah, completely up for that. Um, I think that's all part, of, yeah, again, back, getting back to what is pronunciation for, all, it's all part of building confidence. I mean, Robin Walker is, is a great advocate for this. We've, he's one of the um, contributors to the Oxford University Press position paper on English for a Global World, which I recommend everyone download from the Oxford University Press website and read. Um, it, it's, it's great. It just unpacks how we are, um, you know, uh, how to manage pronunciation uh, in, in learning in this global context. But also, he's got this amazing conception, which it was great to see how close our ideas were in a sense. But he sees pronunciation as the beating heart of language. And without paying attention to it, all the other bits of language, um, all the other skills and systems, you know, struggle because, you know, pronunciation is at the heart of it all. And um, uh, I, I completely agree with that idea. Um, you know, we've got um, two kind of processing modes in our, in our minds. We've got a semantic one dealing with meaning and then we've got a phonological one. And if you're not helping learners to develop that in a in a meaningful and empowering way, then you're really disadvantaging them or disabling them in their use of another that target language because you're not bringing that awareness to them. And, um, and I suppose in a way that's what some of the very old traditional, what I would see as very restrictive kind of mechanical tasks with pronunciation were trying to do. But with a learner-centered curriculum, with learner-led 
um, uh, classes, there's so much more opportunity for the students to build that knowledge themselves with you there as a facilitator. So in a sense, you need the IPA or the phonemic script in your back pocket, just like you need the lingua franca core in your back pocket so that you, you've got that knowledge. But then you dispense it in a really um, learner-friendly and learner-centred way at the moment where the learners need it. And that need means that they can take it on board much with much less um, stress and difficulty and um, see the relevance of it as well. Exactly. That was the, the whole idea behind when I kind of created the, the, the presentation that, you know, I went through, obviously, Hancock was a huge inspiration for me mm. at the time. Um, I, I actually... The first time I ever met him was was at just before the pandemic uh, happened. It was at an IH conference in in Barcelona at the time I was working for Pearson, and I and and I met him there. And the the person I was working with, I was like, that's I was like, that's Mark Hancock. Mm. She was like, go and say hello. And I just I just totally freaked out. Like, I, I Did he give you a t-shirt. No, he didn't have any t-shirts handy. I'm afraid, which is a shame. Um, I shook his hand and like basically said that I thought he was brilliant. Um, but yeah, I, I got a bit starstruck in that moment because I was, mm. you know, I remembered back to when I was creating this this presentation um, and and it was so much was, was were based around his very simple ideas that, you know, the the maze idea and stuff like that. Mm. Like a lot of it was based around that. And it was kind of a, a, a huge moment for me at the time. Um, but yeah, that the whole idea of it was to make it approachable, to make it easy to get pronunciation into the classroom. You know, five minutes here, ten minutes there. You don't have to spend hours on it. It's they're great filler activities. They're great ways to, you know, okay, let's quickly look at stress. Let's quickly look at this, and you know, it doesn't need to have a huge focus. Well, I should be a bit more explicit about what I'm saying then here as well, because definitely I've I've been talking around it in big ideas, but there is a gap between and within every single exercise within a course book, which um, uh, ha is a space for pronunciation. So whether it's different, um, listening to different people saying, you know, your partner and noticing differences in pronunciation or saying what's hard for you to understand compared to someone else or changing tone and, you know, and saying it in different manners, like um, if you're angry or if you're tired and noticing how features of pronunciation communicate that and shift those uh, according to those different senses um, saying it when you're in a I love saying it when you're in a hurry um, or when you're when you're um, uh, cross in some way because that really brings out the the stressed syllables and pretty much nothing else um, and, yeah. <clears throat> and the way that that's different from when you're saying something in a, a loving or romantic way or, or different things you know when you're saying something caring for someone in some kind of way when you know all of those different ways of, of doing stuff are spaces within every single activity that you've got in a course book so um, there there are a hundred spaces and it is about integrating it into into those those um, those lessons that you're doing so it's not a something you do once a week on a Friday or something like that. It's prom time, everybody. Exactly, yeah. It, it really devalues what it actually is and seeing it as that heart of language because there's so much, you know, everything is negotiated through speech sound. Um, yeah. Even if it's mediated through text, you've still got to turn that text into speech sound in order to process it. So um, 
in in an alphabetic language. So 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 that's that's kind of an essential part of it. Um, yeah, I do love that one with you know saying it in different ways. I the way I introduce that is with the word really. Mm. Um, you know, getting people to say you know really as if you know you've yeah. just won the lottery. You know, saying really if somebody says they'll be there in five minutes. Oh, we've got someone here. Land Homan's calling in. He's asking if he can join. So um, I'm just going to bring, or he or she, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring Land in. Or they. Um, they, or they. Sorry, my apologies. Hello, Land. Can you can you hear us, Land? Oh, I can. Hello. What would Hello. you like hey, to I'm say? I'm new to all this, so I don't know how to work it. So can you, like, start off like that? Like, I don't know. Sorry. Hi, Land. Uh, well, we're talking about pronunciation in the English classroom. I thought you had something you'd like to say. Yeah, uh, uh, never mind. I'm sorry about that. Okay. Thanks very much for your call, Land. That was, uh, that was interesting. That's, I guess he thought it was like Clubhouse or something. Um, Perhaps. Yeah. There you go. Thanks very much, Land. Thanks for but joining. Thank you for joining. Yeah. That was, uh, that was unique, that experience, I must say. Um, Adam, on that note, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, no need to apologise, Land, whatsoever. It was lovely to have a different accent on as well, which was yeah. great. I, you know, we could talk about that for. A... We could talk about that for quite a long time, to be for honest. A long um, time, probably. Yeah. However, I, we're gonna shoot off for two minutes. Um, when, when we come back, um, we're gonna be talking more about uh, the sensation storm at the Eltons. I just wrote a headline for you there. Wow, thank you um, very much. Yeah, There you go. So we'll be back in about two minutes. I'm going to put you on mute. When we come back, remember to unmute yourself, and that way uh, you won't be blocked off forever. So we'll be do. back in about two. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk 
forward slash careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome back um, to the final countdown um, as Adam returns, as he rushed off to grab some water. Uh, he, he rushed back into the room. It was fantastic. Um, like a superhero bursting on the scene. I'm back. Um, okay. He is back. <laughs> uh, hello. Hello. Um, thanks for still being here. Um, now, uh, I found out about you obviously on the internet, because otherwise it would have been very strange, um, unless you were here on holiday one day, or I don't know. Um, I found out about you, I think it was most likely LinkedIn, because mm -hmm. until I think yesterday, we weren't connected on the other social media platforms, um, yes, or maybe probably. Facebook, I don't know. But I definitely knew you on LinkedIn for quite a long time. Um, yeah. And it was through sensations that I that I had seen your your face. You were wearing a hat actually on LinkedIn, a hat I, I quite like, very fetching hat, similar to oh, one of you. mine. Yeah, I love, um, love a hat as a oh, bald person. You know. Oh, definitely got to love a hat as a bald person, especially in this heat as well. It's good mm. for, for not overheating. Anyway, um, I saw some of the work that you'd done. I saw bits and pieces here and there. Um, and then like, I knew who you were and, and kind of who who sensations were at the time of the Eltons. And then the Eltons happened and suddenly it's like, wow, they're brilliant at everything that's important. Well, so tell us about <laughs> what you're brilliant at or what Eltons say you're brilliant at at least. Well, thanks. You know, we were a finalist in Learner Resources, Innovation in Learner Resources. Didn't win that, unfortunately, but um, we did win two commendations, one for um, equality, diversity and inclusion, and the other for environmental sustainability and climate action. And I'm taking my hat off to you to that one, by the way. Thank you very much. I thought you'd like that. Um, and I hope you might be um, similarly blessed by the Eltons this year when when the results come out but um uh you know that really spoke to what we've been trying to do um news is the the way in which sensations english works and provides learning resources and everything intersects in news it, it's always focused around people they're the core of any news report and the those people's lives are multifaceted multi-dimensional and they exist within uh, a context a, a physical lived context a, a, maybe a digital context as well and um, certainly a social socio-economic context um, so all of those things go together they've got their personal identities and little elements of all of those things come into a news story and they don't just come into an, a news report but they also come into the perspectives of the readers or viewers of that report as well. So there's a lot of engagement and a lot of connection. And part of my enthusiasm for this whole project, when I was just given a phone call one day and said, would you be interested in writing for this new startup, was that it was about trying to make all of this complexity of the world relevant and useful for language learners so um, 
the first thing they said was they wanted everything to be scripted or written or presented at five levels of English. <laughs> my my reaction was kind of wow okay um, that's that's a skill and um, that's a lot <laughs> yeah it's a lot um, uh, it was just really fortunate that I'd part of my classroom research had been on beginner learners and um, it started as my diploma module three and then turned into a four week rolling enrollment course that we we ran at St Giles in Brighton that I wrote and. Um, all of that gave me a lot of insights into lexical teaching, um, frequency lists, um, functional language, the the needs of low level learners. So so then that that kind of helped me to scaffold and put together a, a, a way of doing all of that. Um, while I was doing that, I was, of course, very aware from my own work about inclusion and um, uh, the way in which we needed to be respectful of different um, identities and different um, uh, people's contexts and not be a judge. But, you know, the most important thing about news is that it attempts to be objective. And so that's another challenge that gets put into the mix. Um, another challenge which um, my boss is going to be speaking about later this month um, in a webinar that we run is um, how we broach the parsnips um, problem because um, all of those restrictions that are placed upon what you can and can't include in a course book or in a learning resource because of the demands of particular individuals at education ministries um, in in particular countries or you know particular sensitivities around a particular topic and all of these things when you are dealing with the news it's almost impossible to avoid those things and were you to try you would have some very bland and banal news um, that probably few people would be very interested in well yeah it's it's one of the things i I think about when people say that you know our classes shouldn't be political and I just think but like life is politics you know classrooms should surely be political because we need to be teaching people how to live their lives we need to I'm not not how they should live their lives but you know ways to grow particularly young people whose opinions are forming you know who are out there who are maybe not reading the most positive things that the algorithm wants them to read on social media. Mm. So, you know, they, you know, I think there is a place for healthy debate and, and this idea of parsnips to not offend or upset certain people in certain countries, I can see with like, well, you, you, I, you often write for exactly those people. So, exactly. You know. Exactly. And I can see that, you know, they don't want to offend the, the I don't know, the, the Middle East, because, so you can't really talk about fossil fuels. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but I'm sorry, that's a huge issue when we're talking about sustainability, so, you know, we have to. But then there are other things, you know, when it talks about the politics of the side of things, the P, um, the first P. It's like, mm. but we need to talk about this, you know, we need to, it's I mean, in the news. Completely. The the um, video that went out just today is um, on the um, uh, the uh, political problems in Sri Lanka um, and the um, occupation of the president's house by um, a, a group of very ordinary citizens who are protesting against the issues in that country. And that is 
in some senses, politics. Um, yeah. uh, there is, you know, in other senses, it's just the, the, the people, you know, apolitically dealing with someone who's really rubbish at running <laughs> the country. Um, uh, and, you know, that in itself might be a worry for certain markets, for the person in the Ministry of Education in certain markets. But, you know, that is the news. It's right out there. When people read it, they can, or watch it, they can then, you know, and the power of the image is absolutely, you know, Kieran Donner, he's done, explain that to all of us. But, you know, the, uh, the, the, all of that is then brings you so close to what's happening and makes you think about what, what would be going on if it was in your situation in your country or do you know anyone who's in that place or in a similar location with similar issues or what would happen if if you did that in your country and you know you suddenly think about what happened in the United States with Donald Trump and you know because the pictures are very similar yeah. and so there's all sorts of amazing associations that you're are linking on to your own existing schemata and that's helping learning so it, it's just really powerful and what then comes out of that for the learners is that they're trying to actually articulate their perspectives on that it's not the kind of taboos and issues what do you think about race or what do you think about abortion or anything like that it, it's not taking and hitting these taboos if you like head on it's just placing a situation which intersects with some of these issues and asks people to you know learn something you know practice their english through it and um and then talk about it or or write about it or practice some of the vocabulary and grammar or pronunciation within it and and so you're creating a really meaningful context through which which is actually meaningful for the learners in their own lives as well so what we found in classroom um, uh, trials that we've done is that you're really shortcutting the input to intake to output kind of dynamic because the students seemingly don't need to meet an item seven or eight times before they can um, uh, you know uh, you know grab hold of it because there's things that they're picking up in order to articulate their own points of view just like at a beginner level students are complete magpies and picking up every word off each other and, and because it's got such a good use value to them at that moment mm -hmm. and so and then you're seeing nice discussions that reflect how much metacognitive um, capacity even like early teens you learners have which might not normally be brought out by the kind of subjects that you're dealing with in the course books well that's it you know course books can be you know they they aren't always sorry i just dropped my Drop my I Tefl pen on the floor there. Um, <laughs> Never let it touch the ground. I know. I, I can't believe it. It's terrible. I've already, I've already broken the, the bit off it um, just through um, playing with it so much. I don't actually write anything in pen anymore. Anyway, that's a lie. I've got. A... Oh, look at that. Very nice. I, I do have a notebook here. Um, I don't, I don't have a Sensations English pen. Um, not yet. I do well, have your card. You'll be though. pleased, Harry, to know that we don't have any because yes. we thought they would be a uh, poor environmental choice. They usually are. Um, I did. I was. Now I actually went off at a hotel recently that I I went through. Um, I was there for an event, um, and at their front office, you know, they they, they had this big sign up saying, you know, 
don't print your don't print your receipt because it's it's bad for the environment you know we're green here don't print your receipt and then like to go there you had to sign four different pieces of paper that they printed out anyway and they were just like, oh keep the pen and they had like these the whole like mm. thing full of pens there and i was like do you have to refill this they're like oh at least twice a day everybody loves the pens and i was just like why are you trying to pretend to be green why are you trying to pretend to be green by not printing this? Why are you doing that? It's, it's a bit like the banks, you know, when you go to an ATM that isn't your ATM here in Spain anyway. It says, you know, do you want to print the receipt um, to, you know, to, to save? And it's like, hang on a minute, you're you're literally stealing money off me to take my money out. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay, yeah, got on rant mode see. there. Yeah. Uh, but there's something that but would I be interesting. I can see a really good kind of um, uh, light slow day news piece about that really harry you know so there you go you know that's something that um hotel greenwashing exactly well actually it's not such a slow day even that's quite there you go important a mildly paced day yes um, um but there is the there is the whole parsnips thing that you you must find um i don't know do you find it it restrains you or you, you do you feel constricted by it at all or do you almost have free reign around it I think what we have to remember and what we, you know, is really core to us is respect. And um, that respect cuts many different ways, um, being inclusive, being mindful. So, for example, recently we did a piece on um, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, and, um, you know, <laughs> your, your sucking in of teeth, you know, really shows kind of the, the thoughts on that. But we did it on a fact on the focus of that piece was about a right, a constitutional right, being taken away from a group of people. It mm -hmm. wasn't about abortion. And we didn't use the word abortion in any of the titles. We weren't trying to sensationalise it. We were reporting a situation which had changed. And, you know, we didn't put different arguments into it. We had some interview clips from people um, who expressed different opinions, but that was it, you know. Um, and, and, and so the piece was a piece about constitutional rights, um, human rights, you know, um, or, or legally defined rights, rather. Um, we didn't go into human rights um, at all. So, so that was what the piece was about. Um, you know, it's going to be of great interest to some people. It's going to be something that some people don't feel they can deal with or, or approach. Uh, and that's absolutely fine, because with the news, you would pick and choose what you wanted to read anyway or wanted to watch. So, so it, it really comes down to how you build these things into your classes or how you manage them. I mean, we've talked about two very kind of like on the more controversial edge of things, I suppose, with Sri Lanka and the Roe versus Wade. But there are many other pieces which are, you know, much more inoffensive, I suppose you'd say. Um, one of the first pieces we did was about um, uh, olive growers in Cyprus and how they were bridging a divide um, uh, through, economy, through commerce um, uh, between the two communities. Now, even that maybe feels a bit touch and go for certain contexts but then we've got other pieces about um the the environment and you know we put together a whole series for the cop 26 summit um uh, uh you know you could pick 
three or four different pieces for every day of the week, uh, for both weeks, uh, you know, and, and the way in which they related to the themes of those days, because there was stuff about supermarket chicken um, causing um, being fed on soya, causing mm -hmm. deforestation and, you know, all these different things. But even as I say it, Bolsonaro in Brazil probably wouldn't like that to be in the curriculum. So it, it's, a, it's yeah. a choose, you know. Um, Might not be a huge fan. Yeah, uh, what's relevant, but in the I'm not end, sure he's ever seen a textbook in his life. Sorry. Well, maybe not. But <laughs> even then, if you didn't like it, you could take an economic argument. Well, this is necessary for, you know, what's the choice between, you know, the old fashioned guns and butter. But in this case, between trees and um, uh, food on the plate sort of thing. So there's lots of different ways in which you can kind of. You can feed that soya to humans instead of feeding it to, to chickens, and then you don't need as much of it because you don't need to. Anyway, um, sorry. This is, uh, you know, and, and this is what makes, you know, going back to, we were chatting earlier about project-based learning, and, and um, uh, you know, this really does lend itself to that kind of area. And one of the things that I really liked about the whole concept of Sensations English is that it puts the skills first. Um, and the, the grammar and the vocabulary and the pronunciation and discourse and function are kind of, and especially function actually, function takes more of a role because you've got these same bits of grammar being used for all these different reasons. And when, when we send out an email each week saying what's in the news for Sensations English, we've always got a functional grammar point that stretches through all the different levels of the texts, um, uh, which teachers can pick up and think, oh, well, I'm going to find the language in there. And there's always lots of examples of it. It might be about showing um, disagreement or it might be about explaining a situation, um, uh, a historic situation or, or something, you know, whatever it is. But there's loads of chunks of language then which have got that purpose to them. So then not just sitting there as the present perfect or the a relative clause or whatever it's got that real use to it yeah i think that's something that's so so important that a lot of textbooks are still a long way behind catching on to um it is it's endless grammar banks yeah, yeah it is it is i don't really approach grammar in my lessons i kind of that the, the my lesson isn't based around the grammar and nor is the grammar based around the lesson. What happens is the grammar comes from the lesson. So we find it within it, if you know mm. what I mean. Yeah, well, I think, you know, this this would be perfect for you then, because it really is emergent in the topic that's coming up. And, you know, therefore, the students are more focused on their skills work uh, and the, the, the way in which you put language together uh, and you get that kind of, um, uh, as Diane Larson Freeman's, talks about the, the kind of the fractal sort of intricate um, ever ever kind of emerging um, awareness of language and um, and you're creating that that those conditions for that to take place it sounds sensational it is um, I love Diane Larson Freeman I think she's just um, she hits the nail on the head but. I do have to say something now. It's brilliant. You, a moment ago, you placed yourself. So I, as I've mentioned before, I, I can see Adam. Sorry, everybody else, you can't see him. But he placed himself perfectly a second ago. The, the flag, his wonderful flag behind him actually looked a bit like a party hat. Um, 
It looked absolutely <laughs> brilliant. So, you know, it, it reminded me of our now. talk of hats. Yeah, it, it, was, it was great. So um, I want to thank you for that, um, Adam. Pleasure. I'm going to thank you for a number of other things as well, not simply your your wonderful pride party hat that you had on there, but that it, it was it's coming brilliant. Coming up in Brighton very soon, yeah. Uh, it is. Um, I, I was very annoyed, actually, because I... So I went to Rome, I did a summer camp in Rome with with a a friend of mine. Um, And the Pride March in Rome was on the the 12th of June, I think. Mm. And then when I went there, the Pride March was here in Seville. So I missed both of them. And I I really wanted to take Alethea along to, to her first ever Pride March because, you know, she's nine and, you know, she's, she's, she's interested and, and, She's aware, and you know, yeah. she's, you know, yeah. she's she's a child. She's, she's curious about these things. So yeah, I was like, yeah, it's going to be great. We'll go next year, but now we have to actually go next year again. So unless we go to Brighton, well, you know, um, uh, come along. You'd be more than welcome. Um, and that is something about Pride is everybody is just welcome all the time. It is the the happiest, most wonderful environment I've ever been in in my life. So. Um, it's just great. Uh, I think I mentioned this a few weeks back when I was speaking to, to Tyson Seaburn that, mm. it, you know, it is just, I don't know, one of those moments of just, I don't know, pure joy. Inclusion, acceptance. Yeah, it's um, uh, everybody being equally valued. And, and there's a there's a nice feeling in the air when that, that's the case. There really is. There really, really is. Um, you know, that that isn't that dissimilar from a ELT classroom, I think you know, where, you know, you're living those same kind of values of inclusion and um, acceptance and, um, yeah. Well, exactly that. Now, I certainly used to, to work on the acceptance side of things, and I thought I was on the inclusion side of things as well. I realise now there are so many more facets to inclusion that I didn't even realise mm. existed before, you know. Um, neurodivergent learners, yeah. for a start, was, was something that, Again, we could get onto a whole new thing, but sadly, we only have a minute left. Um, Well, I've enjoyed this very much, Harry. Thank you. The the time has, much like the wind, flown, Mm. um, as it does uh, when you are having fun. So thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. Really, thank you for having me. I hope to see you again soon, maybe in October at the Eltons, maybe. That would be great. I hope to be there. Um, I would love to, hopefully, if yeah, I'm nominated. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you will be there. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, Fingers uh, crossed. I don't know anything about this, by the way. It's just a hunch. Um, uh, I'd just like to say in wrapping up, please check out Pronunciation Sig, Pron Sig, um, on the internet, and also check out Sensations English on the internet. And um, don't forget to check out Harry's Renewable English. Oh, look at that. You're wonderful, you are. Thank you so much. Um, Next week, uh, we have our 50th show. Um, So all all exciting there. Uh, And uh, we will be talking all about business, English and materials. So we will hear you then. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.